The Blunt Post with Vic. Good morning, happy Monday, and welcome to The Blunt Post with Vic. I am your host, Vic Jaramie, the editor and publisher of The Blunt Post. The Blunt Post with Vic is a program that covers national, regional, and local headline news, offers analysis and commentary, and I interview members of Congress, local elected officials, and other high-profile public figures. I'm here with my producer, Ricky Herrera. Good morning, Ricky. Hey, good morning, everyone. So, you know, there's lots to talk about uh, nationally, internationally. Uh, locally, uh, but let's go right into it. Let's talk about um, Mayor Bass. Mayor Bass, who um, was really concerned about the unhoused uh, or homelessness um, in Southern California, has gone right into it, doing some big things. Of course, she declared a state of emergency uh, about the homeless issue in LA, and she just signed an executive order uh, in order to accelerate affordable housing in Southern California uh, and to sort of uh, try to get rid of or um, work with anything that's slowing it down. In fact, she says that the $1.2 billion budget that's been spent on uh, you know, tackling homelessness hasn't really done much. And to a great degree, I actually I agree with her. I wish we knew why 1.2 billion, that, that's the figure, I think, 1.2 billion hasn't right. done much. That usually is the case for a lot of uh, municipal projects and, and stuff. So I'm not surprised whatsoever. And the fact that she is taking some initiative and, I mean, she's only been in office for uh, a month and some change, maybe, less I think, less that. than a month possibly. Um, so the fact that she's hitting this head on uh, is really cool. Chances are we won't see any progress on this, but just the the idea of her trying to tackle this so quick, in my mind, means that the, the chances of the homelessness issue actually being dealt with or some type of solution happening will come sooner than later regardless of this particular executive uh, executive action. Very happy to see how fast she is uh, addressing this issue, which it's just horrible, man. Like some of these locations uh, in LA are just, they're hard to look at, man. They really are. Yeah, and it's all over the place. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a major problem. And I'm not surprised that 1.2 billion hasn't really done a whole lot. I'm sure it's done some but not on a on the scale that we would want it to. Uh, and my guess is, this is just a guess, is a lot of it was spent on bureaucracy and administrative uh, expenses and not really on the people who it's supposed to be for. You know, so, you know, you take 1.2 billion and you divvy it up into a lot of nonprofits and a lot of agencies and this and that and all these fees and, you know, people's salaries and, that's what you get. And you're right. This We're not going to see a major change anytime soon. These things take time. She doesn't, you know, uh, Mayor Bass doesn't have a magic wand to just sort of uh, use that and bam, everything goes away, especially in the situation that we're in. So let's jump halfway around the world. Actually, 
Let's jump to a to a term I learned I'd never heard of before, which was sports washing. That was used in reference to what happened in Qatar during the World Cup. How you know so many people are now coming out and saying Qatar should have never won the bid to host the World Cup for many reasons. Uh, mm-hmm. The most important is that their human rights record is just horrendous, and we saw that on display. We saw the way they treat immigrants, yeah. women, and LGBTQ. I mean, not letting people go in the stadium because they're wearing a rainbow T-shirt. I mean, that's just, yeah, it's unacceptable. So why are we holding a World Cup there? But I do know that FIFA as an organization is very corrupt. Uh, FIFA has held um, events in Azerbaijan, another terribly uh, authoritarian government um, that has horrible record on human rights. And then the worst of it is we learned that uh, Brussels has uh, has charged four European officials uh, for taking bribe from Qatar officials. One of them, you know, very high profile one, the, the uh, Ms. Uh, Kaili, a Greek politician who took bribes from them. Uh, what do you think, Ricky? FIFA is corrupt as the day is long. Uh-huh. The Olympic Committee is corrupt. There's nothing new here. The fact that four officials are being charged in Brussels, it's it's good news. But FIFA has been at the forefront of corruption for, for years, for as long as I can remember the World Cup being a thing. And I, I'm 33 years old. I've always heard things about FIFA just being corrupt. It's just part of that. They've had a couple different leaders of that organization. Nothing's changed. People have protested. The way it's set up, FIFA is set up, the way that these sites are chosen and the system allows this to happen. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, so anyone listening, uh, (laughs) this is going to happen in 2026. This is going to happen in 2030. Uh, We're going to hear stories like this. Uh, Hopefully, they could at least come to their senses. And it's one thing being a corrupt organization, Vic, but what's really disturbing about this one is this this particular World Cup is that they're corrupt and they're oblivious, oblivious to the fact that the host country, the, the site they selected to have this beautiful event that only happens every four years that the world embraces Think about it. How many things in our life does the world come together for? And the World Cup is one of those things. And going back to my uh, oblivious comment, to choose Qatar as a site for this event, I couldn't believe it, man. Qatar is living in the Stone Age, dude. Yeah. Uh, You know, I don't know if, if they're so much oblivious or they just choose to turn a blind eye. Because I was reading uh, that the former president of FIFA, um, FIFA uh, had sort of twice expressed that uh, he doesn't think Qatar is a good uh, location. And uh, you know what? Let me get, and let me guess. These were comments by the former president of, of FIFA as the former president of FIFA, correct? Yeah, but he probably blocked Qatar from being a, a candidate in years past. And it's easy for... <laughs> former presidents <laughs> to finally say something, yeah. you know, when they're safe and they've taken their, I'm not saying he's taken bribes, but 
where when they've done all the damage and now they're talking. So absolutely, uh, it's uh, yeah. If, if anyone is interested in learning more about FIFA's past and exactly just exactly what sports washing entails, there's a documentary that is floating around on Netflix. So check it out. Do you remember the name? I, I think it, I think it's just called FIFA is corrupt. <laughs> okay. Do you want to bring up something else? Vic I, Vic, I think we have no choice. I think we have to talk about Harry and Meghan. Prince Harry and Meghan, Duchess Meghan, and the whole royal family. I've been sort of following this, not because I'm a big royal watcher, because I'm not. However, <laughs> I, I am intrigued by Harry and Meghan because I think they're a lot more authentic, a lot more real than their um, the rest of their family. What tickles me is, you know, knowing that the, the British royal family spends a tremendous amount of money on PR in the U.S. to keep their name uh, in the papers uh, up front. It's, it's kind of a, I mean, let's face it, the, the royal family is basically the, the publicists, <laughs> the de facto publicists of the, the, the monarchy or the actually, you know, UK in a way. So they spend so much money on media, media placements. And I'm seeing a lot of sort of what, what is very obvious to me, having been in media for, for such a long time, that they are negative media placements to sort of slander the, you know Harry and Meghan because they dare to really speak and sort of uh, you know, tell their story. Uh, which I've watched the I've watched the show, and I don't think that they are all that blunt. I think they're still pretty diplomatic. But yet the the royal family <laughs> is going after them. You're laughing. Why are you laughing? Continue, please. I think that Harry and Meghan are a lot more authentic. I'm sure in every story there are things that we don't know, and you know, and we probably never will. But if I had to sort of I don't know believe or vote for one side or the other, I would vote for. Uh, Megan and Harry. And I really think that they are brave. Of course, it's easy to be brave when you have money, but they are brave because they've gone against the grain and they have sort of once again exposed this family for what they are and who they are. I mean, it's, uh, I'm all for them. So I'm just curious about your take on what's happening. I, I wrote a paper once that got some pushback from one of my professors, and I wrote about bringing down the monarchy in the 21st century, how mm -hmm. it was almost just a disgusting idea and such an archaic idea that that was still being embraced in the 21st century. And as I've gotten older, I've, I've realized that that's not necessarily the best uh, mindset to have. I've come to respect the, the monarchy in place in England because it's something that those citizens embrace and they actually choose to keep to keep them there, like as a representation for their country. So I'm not saying I've done a 180 flip. And I and I know that they're that the monarchy there is really just uh figureheads for lack of a better term. Like they actually don't have any power in, in terms of the country. They do somewhat aren't uh, under the radar though. But yeah, I'm sure they saying. I'm sure they have a lot of influence and stuff and and yeah, I think Harry and Meghan, I don't feel bad for them. I just think people are intrigued by this documentary. Yeah, it definitely uh, seems to have um, carved a path. And uh, and it happens to be in Montecito, California. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
our neighbor. But speaking of media, we have another media sort of a bombshell here in the U.S. Uh, with the Hallmark Channel. Yeah, so Vic, the Hallmark Channel, they are coming out with the film. The film is called The Holiday Sitter, and it's Hallmark's first queer Christmas movie. And the movie they are saying is an exercise in faith marks a milestone, one of three for the Hallmark Channel this season. So apparently they'll be coming out with a few more movies uh, in this in this realm. But uh, I think it's really cool. And I, I think you were mentioning that the Hallmark Channel or the the, the suits behind it are generally cons- very conservative people. Very. And the fact that they've produced a movie like this is something that they haven't done before. Yeah, it's a, centered around the gay couple. It's their first sort of gay themed Christmas film. And so it's it's a it's a big deal. I mean, you would think that that would have been a milestone for another, maybe like Netflix or Amazon or something like that. But the fact that it's the Hallmark channel is um is surprising in a good way yeah good for the uh the industry yep it's about time for sure so speaking of uh, surprises let's go to our say what yes yeah, say what is a segment that we do once a week where we want to highlight uh, something in the news the past week that just kind of sticks out uh whether it's uh, a verbal gaffe or awkward moment or something that someone says that it's just out of character. This week, as we know, Elon Musk has uh, created quite the uh, some pushback, not only from the users of Twitter, from his ideas of charging people for their blue check marks, but he's also creating some pushback from from journalists now. And just recently, some audio was uh, released of a meeting he had with the head of the Washington Post. It it really gives us uh, insight into Elon's personality and I think his approach to his handling of Twitter. In this audio, you'll hear how, how blunt he is in terms of banning these Twitter accounts from his platform these journalist Twitter accounts from his platform. So take a listen. I never posted your address. You posted a link to the address. We posted a link. We, in, in the re- course of reporting about Elon Jet, we posted links to Elon Jet, which are now not online um, and now banned on, on Twitter. You docs, you get suspended, end of story, that's it. Elon, I have to ask, I mean, I think what everyone's wondering is that it's highly unusual for journalists at the Washington Post and the New York Times to be have their Twitter accounts suspended. And it just so happens that it's, you know, the, the, the boss in charge, you know. Uh, so, you know, what's the deal there? Oh, I think I think Elon has uh, has left. The story behind uh, this particular journalist getting banned is because they provided a link to some kid who is tracking Elon Musk's jet. And for people who have been following this story, this college kid who has a Twitter account that tracks Elon's jet travels, he's been a thorn in Elon's side for quite a while now. The fact that the Washington Post uh, reported on this story and provided a link uh, just really ticked, ticked Elon off. And so he's banned them from Twitter. 
I guess this brings up a larger issue. Uh, do you think what Elon's doing is just bad for the platform? Let's go back. Let me just tell you how I feel about Elon Musk. I haven't made up my mind uh, about him completely because I feel like, you know, this is a guy that's super smart and super successful. And I like to think that he has a bigger picture plan in his head that the sort of He's not going to put it out there. So, you know, those that are just looking at what he's doing now and sort of reacting and saying, you know, Twitter is uh, doomed and it's going to be, you know, falling apart. Uh, perhaps Elon has plans that uh, are long term and uh, we just, you know, have to wait and see. So that's one possibility. What I have made up about him is that he definitely has sort of come out of the hiding uh, or, or stopped hiding the fact that he's more of a right-leaning uh, individual. Yeah, he's made it pretty clear recently. Um, so that's uh, that's starting to show in his behavior, but more importantly in uh, what he's tweeting. The as far as a, you know, a couple of things just to say about that. So yes, the guy who's been tracking his private jet has been a thorn on his side. Elon did actually suspend him, and then he put out a poll saying, "Should I unsuspend him?" And people said, "Do." So then he decided to unsuspend him. And in Elon's defense, or at least just to sort of um, give you the the whole info is. He says that there was a guy who um, was following him and his family, and uh, that was due to the fact that his location was constantly public, uh, kind of like a stalker, if you will. In terms of tracking, I think it's a little weird. I don't care if you're a billionaire or not to have like your your jet constantly followed and that information be public. I don't know how, how I feel about that. Yeah, it's one of those, you know, public information, public figure versus privacy. You know, they, they're entitled to some privacy too. Uh, the bigger question for me is Elon Musk, you know, talking about free speech and stuff like that, and yet being so hard on, I don't necessarily mean in this, in this instance with the location of his jet, but just in general, uh, he is now really hard on other people who are sort of who disagree with him. So uh, and that includes some of his employees that he sort of um, reprimanded uh, because they challenged him on Twitter. So what is free speech and what is, you know, Elon's uh, prerogative to do what he w wishes with his own private company? Yeah, so you do think that this can be detrimental to the platform, just the the approach he's been I don't know. Taking, I haven't like, made up long my mind. Term. I, okay. I haven't made up my mind. I feel like someone as brilliant and successful in so many other things, he must have some sort of a bigger picture plan that you and I may not be privy to. Mm -hmm. And he's going there. So I don't really have a crystal ball. And I, I don't like to make outlandish statements and say Twitter is doomed or anything like that. But he certainly has a plan. And he's following it, so it's a it's a wait and see. And none of the competitors of Twitter have really gone anywhere, uh, yeah. at least not yet. So it's still Twitter is still king. Uh, so we shall see. I, I suppose in terms of my Twitter experience and stuff, uh, that's pretty much non-existent. So kind of just curious for someone like yourself who uses Twitter, who 
uses it for a variety of reasons. I'm I'm assuming if these kind of things cross your mind when you use the platform, is it is there like a deterrent about what he's doing, or is that totally separate from if what he's doing can like mess up this thing that millions and millions of people use? Well, again, I don't know because we don't have the the bigger picture. Everything is really new. His changes are really new. And we don't really have sort of a roadmap of to where he's going with it. But I do have okay. to say that Twitter, I had a lot of issues with Twitter, or I still do, that had nothing to do with Elon Musk. It's, this yeah. is for years before him uh, of Twitter really itself, you know, during the whole attack on Artsakh, the invasion of Artsakh by Azerbaijan, uh, a lot of Armenian activists and journalists were being uh, dinged because Azerbaijani bots and trolls were constantly reporting, false reporting, and Twitter was, uh, was banning them uh, without any kind of a, a mechanism to prevent that. So, you know, it's not like Twitter was this sort of a perfect platform that was handed over to Elon Musk and you know, now it's going to be doomsday. Yeah, there were other problems uh, even before that. So I think it's too early um, to tell. I would like to, you know, interview him. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen. But and just say, like, what's your what's your bigger picture plan? Right. So why are you doing these different things and where is this going to lead to? And I think, um, uh, yeah, I think it's it's a wait and see for me for now. I appreciate you elaborating on that. But speaking so, of money, you know, we have to uh, remind our listeners, our, our devoted listeners, that uh, KPFK is uh, having a fun drive. This is our holiday fun drive that we're in right now. We just want to remind you that once again, we need your support. We need your help. We need your contributions, donations, so that we can keep the station alive. We can keep this show on the air and other shows like this. We know that you've been contributing for years, so we ask you to um, dig deep uh, this holiday season and donate again to our fund drive. We have to raise a lot of money for just administrative, basic skeletal staff and our administrative costs so that we can keep the station going and serve you, serve Southern California. Please go to our website, uh, kpfk.org. Uh, and make a donation. It's 100% tax deductible. You can do it with your credit card, but there's also info if you choose to send in a check uh, or whatnot. Yeah, we definitely appreciate that from you. We've got to raise uh, quite a lot of money in the next few days. Yeah, Vic, calling on all angels, please. KPFK, as you know, we are in our fund drive, and I just want to go over a few numbers with the listeners. Okay, so some of the bills that KPFK has, for instance, uh, let's see, we got a $5,000 bill to pay the annual fee to the National Forest Service. It's a bond account to clean up the transmitter site up on Mount Wilson. We got a $2,500 fee to pay KPFK's local share of the cost for the Pacifica Foundation elections. $1,500 to pay the early bird fee to reserve a table at the Los Angeles Times Festival of Books next year in April. And $1,500, that's a lot of money, but it's very important that we are at this 
uh, festival of books at USC. I'm uh, glad you're doing that, Ricky, because it really puts all of it in context. Like talking about the Forest Service fee, the five thousand dollars that we have to pay to keep the the area around the antenna clean. I mean, that's we we don't really think about that, but that's a major cost. That's sort of part of the operating uh, budget of the station. Um, so you know, it gives you an idea of uh, the sort of things that we have to tackle. You know including electrical bill and water bill and, uh, you know, all the other sort of expenses of operating a station as lean as it is, a lot of costs are involved. I know they seem random, but like you said, just to kind of give listeners an insight of, to why we have these fund drives and what KPFK prioritizes, it's it's not something that gets talked about a lot. And I think like, for instance, just this USC book festival um, last year, we couldn't do it because uh, we couldn't afford a table or to become media sponsors. But we still sent out some people out there uh, who passed out some flyers, uh, the KPFK radio for readers. They were bookmarks, but it's a good outreach opportunity for the, the radio station. And if we can reserve a boot this year, I, I think that'll be very important because as you know, reading is important. And if you can actually cover one of these costs and <laughs> their expenses in their entirety, clearly that would be great. But whatever you can afford this holiday season, if donating is in, is in your best interest uh, and, and you can do it, Times are tough, we know. We really appreciate it because the station is an independent news organization, as you know. We don't rely on sponsors. We don't rely on people that are just totally detached from what we're trying to do here. We rely on our listeners, and our listeners are the best. They always have our back, and we hope you continue to have our back because we need you Calling on all angels, please, KPFK, we can't do this without you. Absolutely. Uh, that website is kpfk.org, and the phone number is 818-985-5735. You can call in with your donation. You can log in and go to kpfk.org and make your pledge. On our website, you can also find out how you can donate uh, with a check and other methods. And that number, again, is 818-985-5735, or just go to kpfk.org. Yes, kpfk.org. Yeah, just click donate, and you can do it with the credit card, e-check, and we, there are also gifts. The gifts are in alphabetical order. We got gifts from shirts, mugs. There's a variety of different gifts, so just go on to kpfk.org. Uh, so please, kpfk.org to donate. All right, Ricky. So let's take a little break. Um, right after the break, uh, I'll be interviewing Rose Grigorian, who is running to be a city council member or LA city council member from District 6. It's the, it's the office that the embattled and now disgraced council member Nuri Martinez uh, left uh, after she resigned. So yeah, my, my interview is coming up with Rose Gregorian uh, right after the break. Hi, this is Robbie Krieger from The Doors, and you are listening to Fiercely Independent KPFK 90.7 FM, Los Angeles 98.7 FM in Santa Barbara, and for the world at www.kpfk.org. Support free speech and free forum radio. Peace. 
Donating your car or boat is an excellent way to help KPFK stay alive and on air. All you have to do is call 877-KPFK-AUTO. That's 877-KPFK-AUTO, and we'll take care of everything. The Blunt Post with Vic. Rose Gregorian is a first-generation immigrant, a successful businesswoman, and is running to be the council member from LA's 6th District. Good morning, Rose. Thank you for being on The Blunt Post with Vic this morning. How are you today? Good morning, Rick. I'm very well. Thank you so much for taking time and inviting me. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, congrats on your sort of unofficial for now launch of your run for LA City Council District 6. Thank you so much. It's a, it's an interesting road ahead. So, uh, you know, we want to get to know you and uh, find out about your platform uh, and all of that. Uh, but before we get into the specifics, I want to ask you what your perspective is uh, and your outlook on where we are as a community in L.A., you know, considering we're just now recovering from or sort of still struggling, but trying to recover from COVID. Uh, we have a new mayor. Uh, we have a city council that's, uh, you know, to say the least, has been mm -hmm. going through some uh, challenges. Right. Where do you think we are? Um, how do, what's your perspective on our current situation? So, um, as you said yourself, city has gone through uh, very many uh, things and dark times as well. Ra racism, corruption, discrimination, coronavirus. And, um, you know, uh, I think it's a hard time for city, but there are a lot of opportunities still. A lot of challenges in the city with the new mayor, with a lot of changes inside the city hall, I think. We have a lot of opportunities, but still a lot of challenges to overcome. But we have great opportunities to have uh, to take over here in the city of L.A. Because, uh, you know, the city is um, a wonderful city, as we Angelinos used to say, city of angels. A lot of opportunities, diversity. We have to take every opportunity here to make our community and the city even better. Absolutely. So... On that note, let me ask you, uh, this is probably going to be the tough question. So you are hoping to be a council member from um, District 6, which is the district uh, of a former council member, Nuri Martinez, who was the president of city council, who was forced to resign after the the scandal, the recording that surfaced of, of several council members and a, a union leader. Uh, making very derogatory, racist, homophobic, uh, arminophobic uh, comments. What do you think about what was said and its aftermath? So um, what happened really was not unfair to a lot of people because uh, they were also comments on Armenian people. On uh, I'm from Armenia and a lot of other, like, as I said, racism. We have seen corruption. We have mm -hmm. seen discrimination words from there. So um, I feel like there is no belief in the existing political machine anymore. And I think that after that, it was the right thing to resign. So uh, Angelinos right now are looking for something new, I think, from outside where no politics involved. So my main motto is no politics, only public service. Right. So that's what we need right here in LA. 
Okay, I understand that. Do you think uh, Council Member Kevin DeLeon should resign? Definitely, he has to, yes. Okay. So let's, uh, let's go back to your background. You know, you are, you are sort of a, a sort of a typical Angelino, if you will, in a sense, in the sense that you're an immigrant. So you've been in the US for about 10 years. Uh, you are sort of an example of the American dream. You've worked hard, started from scratch, and you've worked yourself up uh, to a successful businesswoman. And uh, you are, you know, now you want to sort of uh, lead a council district, which is a lot of responsibility, obviously. Um, what are some of the qualities and some of the experiences in your background that you think will will sort of help you do this? Um, when I entered this country, I was all alone by myself. Uh, no friends, no family. Um, but I did believe in hard work and in goodwill. Uh, so those are my main... A lot of people ask me, what is the secret for your success? That is the secret of my success, hard work and goodwill mm. like putting games small by small step by step and walking to your goals i think everybody especially immigrants who are new who are here after american dream have to take account that there are a lot of opportunities here especially for immigrants i love this country as as like i was born here that's why it's so special for me that it gives a lot of chances to go for, to thrive, to prosper, to take from the community and to give to the community. That's so important. In terms of your district, um, obviously with uh, Council Member Nuri Martinez having resigned, uh, mm -hmm. there's, a, there's a lack there. There's a lack of a leadership. Um, the community itself is concerned. Um, how do you think you will handle that transition coming into a uh, a new district as the new council member who has to really unite the community, bring people together and work through the challenges to go through the next phase, if you will? Here in the diversity of Los Angeles, I think everybody is just an angel and regardless if they are Armenian or other ethnicity we are all angelines I myself I have always supported my community uh, especially vulnerable ones to navigate in the hard times so um, everybody has to teach everybody has to reach everybody has to be supporter so that will be the main axis of my political stance to unite the community from within this is The Blunt Post with Vic on KPFK 90.7 FM, and you are listening to my interview with Rose Gregorian, who is running to be LA City Council Member from District 6. What would be, in a nutshell, your approach to sort of take your district out of the scandal that it's in right now? So, you know what? These kind of things always happen. I mean, um, this is not a single stance that we show, but as I said, goodwill and hard work take over everything. If you really have the aim, if you 
really have the spirit, if you really have the heart for your community mm -hmm. to take over it, to do everything to serve your community. As I said, it's all about public service. There is no politics involved. I think what people have to believe in, there should be no politics, just a service to one another, to your community, with heart, with your soul, with dedication. Okay, fair enough. Um, so let's get to some some specifics here. Now, the unhoused or homelessness, as some call it, uh, has been a major issue for SoCal, Los Angeles. Uh, I personally think it's a really a national issue, uh, and it's not just an issue of housing, quote unquote, or a lack of housing. I think it's a much broader a challenge of income inequality disintegration of the middle class, the working class, uh, as well as our inability to have a functioning, fair healthcare system, mental health care system, so that uh, people don't become homeless to begin with, and that we really treat people that need the, the extra care, whether it's mental health services or substance abuse, uh, not that all homeless people have those, but you know, it doesn't matter. And of course, uh, Mayor Karen Bass has declared a state of emergency, um, rightfully so, for Los Angeles. And it is one of the top priorities for you. Um, how do you how do you think you're going to tackle that? And how does that uh, work with uh, Mayor Bass's plan? I would say I'm in alignment with that. I think it's inhumane to leave unhoused people under the rain in cold street or under Californian sun. So definitely there is no compassion about like uh, leaving them on streets. So my approach is comprehensive, compassionate approach to the issue. I would say the best option for me is to create transitional units for the unhoused people while we will work on building permanent ones. That will also have clean, safe, walkable sidewalks that will be safe for kids, for seniors, for everybody. We have to work with the county, with social services, with mental health de uh, department, and also with nonprofits to provide programs and services aiming at substance abuse removal and mental health issues among unhoused people. I would fight for the city to have its own health department that will have contracts with the county so we can work from our field offices on micro level to provide the support and help to put the unhoused on the path of wellness. Okay, you seem to have a plan. Congrats on that. So let's let's move on to small business. A um, lot of small businesses um, struggled uh, during COVID-19. A lot of them didn't make it while others are having a hard time getting off the ground. Uh, it's not just residential buildings and housing that's extremely unaffordable in Southern California, but so is uh, you know commercial real estate and renting and businesses and, and spaces and all of that. Uh, how, do you, how do you propose to tackle that and to help the community uh, and those that want to start a new business or that have an existing small business but are struggling? I'm a small business owner. I know how it is hard to maintain your office, especially after coronavirus. And it was really, really hard to do it during the coronavirus. 
Um, even though a lot of businesses uh, got assistance programs, assistance means from SBA, from other sources. So there have been a lot of sources that provided help for small businesses. But within the district, for me, I'll have a dedicated deputy who will uh, be in charge of united local businesses by connecting them to the community, providing necessary information on the vacancies nearby so that we can connect businesses in the community uh, to provide both jobs and uh solving the problem of the job security as well, and also providing with necessary resources for businesses that are available from federal body, from county, from the city. So information is a very valuable resource that we have to provide to small business owners, especially a lot of them are immigrants and are not well familiar with them. This is The Blunt Post with Vic on KPFK 90.7 FM. And you are listening to my interview with Rose Gregorian, who is running to be LA City Council member from District 6. So that brings me to, again, specifically your district as as you look at your district, the demographic, uh, the realities of the district, what are some of the challenges that you that you see facing them that, that are just very specific to your district? Regarding small businesses or general? No, just in general. So I see a lot of issues. First of all, homelessness, as it is all over LA City. Affordable housing, like affordable housing is really not a specific issue for me that I will tackle. So nowadays, we know the prices for everything are going up. Rents are increasing. A lot of people are moving out from their district. I myself, I used to live in District 13. Now I am in District 6. And the rents, rent prices here are uh, comparably affordable. And my first task will be keeping the rents affordable so that people living here don't have to move out. Because a lot of pe- people move out from districts where the prices are high for rents. A lot of development is coming in the district, in my district. And my main task would be to make out that any place where city has discretion, developers must provide, must add affordable units so that we can prevent a lot lot of Angelinos living in the district being unsheltered. Also, supportive housing will be another issue that will be important for me. What are some other uh, challenges that you think your district is going to need a lot of help once you come in? So, as I said, affordable housing, homelessness, small businesses, transportation, uh, you know, gas prices are quite high nowadays. A lot of people are not able to drive a lot. So I think we have to work with transportation committees in the counties, transportation department. Um, in that sense, we have to add um, also um, new bus stops so that people don't have to use their cars and are able to um, and that's what we'll be able to make like public transportation more accessible, more also affordable in a sense to a lot of people. Okay. What questions should I have asked that I may have not asked or what would you like to add? So, you know what? Another major issue for me is um, drug-free schools. It's really important for me because our youth, our teenagers today are our tomorrow. We have to take care of that. For example, a couple of days ago, 10 students with overdoses were reported at Van Nuys Middle School with seven of them transported to hospitals because of the intake of uh, fentanyl-containing pills. Wow. So we 
have to work with LAUSD, work with the county, with mental health departments, law enforcement agencies, addiction prevention specialists to create programs, mentorship classes that will be provided at schools from kindergarten to high school. I think it is uh, important to create programs like there, like drug abuse resistance education that was cut off. Uh, back then, the courses were delivered by policemen, but I think it's good to provide from um, drug addiction, addiction prevention specialists uh, through grade 12, aiming teaching school kids to reject drug use and violent gang culture that is actually in my district. So yeah, yeah. that'll be another so, issue. Yeah, I think, I think the substance abuse especially in schools, uh, is a subject that's been sort of put on the back burner uh, for, you know, I think in, in a really great way, uh, or I should say in a, in a major way that should not have been because, you know, I'm, I'm a recovering alcoholic. I have over 14 years sober, uh, although I never did drugs, but in, in the rooms of 12 steps, uh, you hear so many stories and you also learn that most people who got into drugs or even alcohol too, they started in uh, middle school and high school. And, uh, you know, it just get, they just get younger and younger. And fentanyl, as you mentioned, is definitely one of the newer uh, problems facing us. You know, every few years, there's a sort of a new threat. You know, there was, there's always been crystal meth for years and, and Molly and ecstasy. And now fentanyl is being sort of everything is being laced with fentanyl. It's creating a lot of problems. So yeah, well said. So uh, Rose, before we go, anything you'd like to add or any call to action? If people want to support your uh, campaign, how do they get in touch with you? How do they help, volunteer, etc.? So before uh, adding some information about supporting my, my campaign and stuff, I would like to say that there are a lot of problems that we have to dedicate ourselves as i said the main thing is to put your heart and your soul in your community like food security for seniors because seniors you know don't get especially seniors with disabilities don't get uh, food they need we have to provide them with hot meal meals and also immigrants as i say i'm an immigrant i know so hard it is for an immigrant especially women uh, to tackle the difficulties in this community so immigrants will be another um, issue main issue for me uh, to help them to provide them with programs that will especially provide them with information on assistance programs and resources in their mother languages that is so important so I will have another dedicated deputy that will serve this purpose all the information about my campaign uh, information on me, on the path that I have passed uh, in this country, people can find on my uh, website, rose4la.com, for comes in number, and also they can uh, find information how, how they can support my campaign by donating or volunteering or just brainstorming, because I love my community and I love generally people and I love to interact and to help them because we are born to help one another. Fantastic. So that's Rose, R-O-S-E, the number four, L-A.com, your Perfect. website. Rose, it's been a pleasure. Uh, hope Thank to chat you. with you soon as you as you sort of go through this, uh, this road. Uh, 
uh, ahead in the next few months. Uh, good luck to you and thanks for being on the show this morning. Thank you so much. I hope I will have the opportunity to serve my community regardless of anything. Thanks, Rose. Thank you, Vic. Thank you, Rose, for the interview, for being on The Blunt Post with Vic uh, this morning. Appreciate your time. Good luck with your campaign. Um, and uh, hopefully we'll talk to you a little bit down the line as well. Give a little bit. Give a little bit of your love to me. All right. So Vic and Ricky here uh, again from The Blunt Post with Vic. We are coming to you uh, to ask you to dig deep in your pocket and to make a pledge to KPFK to keep this station not just alive, but to help us to thrive uh, in an era of corporate media that's beholden to um, advertisers and sponsors, uh, special interests who want to dictate what media reports on. Uh, we've just seen example of this from social media, from Twitter and what's happening there. It doesn't matter whether you are a Biden fan or a Trump fan or whose fan you are, any kind of censorship is not good. And uh, we're seeing that from Twitter. And what's significant about KPFK is we are, we do get to be blunt or unfiltered and not really have to be sort of prisoners of uh, our sponsors and corporate power. Um, so we ask you to help help this station as we go into 2023. This is our last pledge drive this year. Uh, we need your help. We appreciate your help. You've been there for us for, for years. We know that. Um, so we're coming to you again to ask you to go to kpfk.org uh, and make a pledge. It could be $20, 100 more. Uh, there are many different bonuses that you can pick from. If you're interested in that, it's on our website or just give because you want to. You want to support democracy, free speech. Uh, go to kpfk.org. Yes, kpfk.org. Please make your pledge. It's very easy. You can pay with a credit card, debit card, or even an e-check. And the phone number to call is 818-985-5735. Please help us out. We cannot thank you enough for the contributions you have made in the past to this radio station, keeping us alive, keeping us on the air, keeping us from, from censorship. As Vic pointed out, in this climate of media, it's very important that we have a, a news source that is not beholden to uh, an agenda that we frankly just don't believe in. We, we have one agenda and that is to bring you what is on our mind. All the shows across the network, we, we all have one goal and that goal is to give it to you how it is. Give you stories that aren't covered in big media. Give you stories Fox News just won't even touch. They'd rather bring you one-sided elements and we're not about one-sided. We're about the truth. Right wing, left wing, it, it doesn't matter. You know, we are an independent news organization that relies on you to keep going forward and to fill this path that, that we've been on since 1959. 818-985-5735 is the number to call, or you can go online to kpfk.org to make a pledge. Whatever you have, we really appreciate it. Every cent counts here. 
And online, you can browse through our li list of gifts. If you feel like you would rather walk away from the pledge with, with something or just make a pledge and don't take a gift. Uh, we really appreciate it regardless. And without you, we would not be here. We can't thank you enough for the contributions you made in the past. Please, we really need your help. Absolutely. Uh, and just a quick reminder, your contributions are 100% tax deductible. It is the end of the year, so you'll be able to write those off uh, as soon as you start doing taxes in 2023. Um, and if you're listening to us uh, in your car, um, I think you know that, but just, uh, just in case, you can always live stream too from you know, kpfk.org and you know, tell people, we, we want to have uh, we want to have uh, new listeners, um, especially younger listeners who are uh, maybe have just too many choices of, um, you know, entertainment and, and things to listen to and things to watch. And uh, it's remarkable that the like people in their 20s, once they discover KPFK, they get really hooked. But the, the key is to get them to discover it. So we rely on you to tell your friends, family and such about KPFK. Thank you for your support. And the uh, website is kpfk.org. kpfk.org or call 818-985-5735. We really appreciate it. And as I always say, our listeners rock. Amen. Before we go, I'd like to thank my producer, Ricky Herrera, without whom this show would not be possible. And KPFK, the station that brings you unfiltered and commercial-free news, opinion, and hopefully some inspiration. Thank you for joining me today on The Blunt Post with Vic. The Blunt Post with Vic. This is John Crumshaw with a special Politics or Pedagogy Education Report. I'm on the line with Medea Benjamin. She is a co-founder of Code Pink, and her latest book is called War in Ukraine. Welcome to Politics or Pedagogy. Yes, John. Thanks for having me on. Very good to talk with you because this is something that maybe uh, teachers of history, teachers of journalism would like to know more about and be able to get a more balanced view. They hear one view in the mainstream media and then they hear another point of view somewhere else. Can you please help bring some sense to this war in Ukraine? Well, it's, uh, as we say in our book, a senseless war, because it could have easily been avoided if the uh, p people in the governments had listened to each other early on. Uh, for example, there was an agreement that the U.S. would not expand NATO after 1991 and the fall of the Soviet Union, uh, and yet the U.S. and NATO violated that agreement despite all the warnings that kept coming from academics and diplomats and experts in all countries who said this was going to lead to a conflict. So had people listened to the advice of those in the know, uh, they could have stopped this war early on. They could have stopped the war early on, but now it's carried on for what? How many? Six months? Seven months? Eight months? Well, it's 10 months now. By February 24th, it will be one year. And unfortunately, unless we can build a global movement for ceasefire negotiations, this war could drag on for years to come. And of course, the real danger is that it extends to a direct war between the U.S. and NATO on the one hand 
and the Russians on a, on the other hand. And let's remember, the U.S. and Russia have over 90% of the world's nuclear weapons. Uh, a war directly with Russia could easily spin out of control and become a nuclear war. On that note, Medea Benjamin, I want to thank you very much for joining us on Politics or Pedagogy. Thank you for having me on. This is John Crumshow with a special Politics or Pedagogy Education Report.